book of the Bible. Amazing letter that Paul wrote to this Corinthian church he started and called saints, but are struggling somewhat on what to do in their lives with these issues. And I want to start this way for us. I want to affirm and just confess to you from my own testimony. I have seen my whole life change because of Jesus. I think many of us gather here, that would be our testimony. It's the, the subjective experiential truth of the gospel. The reality, the, 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 the literal reality, the truth that the Bible has taught me about Jesus has affected me in how I live my life and what I see and all the things I do. It's so incredible to taste the wonder of salvation, isn't it? That's why we come. That's why we worship. We think it's true. I, I think the Bible is true that Jesus Christ came and died for me and that he lives. <laughs> He's coming again. That's affected me since I was a young man. Sometimes, as we read the Bible, then, with that truth, I can slide into thinking some ways that aren't really true. What do I mean? Well, let me say this. Is it possible, as I read 1 Corinthians, that Paul is wrong? That's right. Some said, no way. This is our very faith. Paul can't be wrong. The Bible's inspired. It's inerrant. Those things are true and, and therefore can't be true. Um, he can't be wrong in what he says. That's where we know truth is from because everything I know about Jesus, everything I know about salvation is really from the Bible, isn't it? Say, well, someone told me. Yeah, they told me because they read the Bible. And everything that, that has affected me about the knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is comes from this book. Is that the same as saying Paul never thought anything untrue? And if I'm saying that, it's actually suggesting something. Who am I to say that of Paul? This very quickly can get into something very dangerous, and so I, I'm throwing us in some deep waters today, but they're waters that I hope are actually very good for your faith, is to understand what the Bible's about and why we do what we do. Really important. Sometimes I just get so tired. I say, man, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I don't want to think about how things line up, why I do what I do. And I believe you always have a why that God gives you to why you do the things you do. And if you can't tell me why, that's a problem. The other issue is this that we have to face, and we have to face as we read it this morning. This book that we're reading right now, this letter, which is one of the newer letters in this whole Bible, is still too thousand years old. Two thousand years? Think about that with me for a minute, will you, please? Because I remember my great-great-grandparents. I don't really, but I know their names. That was a long time ago. All I really know about them are their names. But they lived in a time when there were no automobiles, and there were no telephones, much less Facebook. And yet, that was only a hundred years ago. This book that we're taking out the truth of God from was written 2,000 years ago. It's very true that very often we read into things or we take things from it and just plunk it right into our context without thinking, wait a minute, this was written so long ago. The most amazing thing to me as I study and read the Bible is how perfect and wondrous it is because it actually informs me every day about who Jesus is and how important it is, all the truths that I know. Fantastic. And it's 2,000 years old. Wow. 
Here's my question that's going to help us, I hope, today. Should you wear a head covering? And if you're a guy and say, no, this doesn't apply to me. Should you avoid long hair? Because Paul has something to say to you, and you have to decide. And I think as we think about what Paul said, it will be helpful to us to think about how we think about our Bible. So those are my questions for us. It's like, how, how should we be acting in what Paul says for us to do? So Paul is inspired by the Spirit. He has the gospel truth. And the, the thinking is, how are you going to apply it? And what are you going to do? So we're going to take a look at that together. It's about three things. Heads, and then hair, and then discernment for you and me. So we'll start with heads. In chapter 11, verse 2. Here we go. Paul writes this. Now, I command, oh, I commend you, says. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain their traditions, even as I deliver them to you. Paul starts out saying, hey, I delivered some traditions to you. I'm glad you do them. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. So he, he starts off as he begins today with the privilege and wonder and reality and truth unassailable about what headship is. And really, it should be something that strikes you and you take in and you dwell in because it's fantastic and wonderful and amazing. If you start to think about Jesus and God, the Father, and how Jesus took up that role of obeying the Father his whole life through, and he went through and he went even to the cross and he died on the cross for you and for me. He was God, and yet in the role that he took, he revealed this heart of God. And he says, hey, the same way, Jesus is the head of us. He is. Now, we get much of that in other places like Ephesians, and Ephesians talks about how Jesus is the head and we're his body, and we're all being built up. But the idea is, is that Christ is the one who directs and guides and leads, and he's the one who's the top, and it's the wonderful authority that he has because of what he's done. Jesus Christ became man, and when he became man, he is our head, and we're united to him. And then we even get, you know, I had, I did it yesterday. I got to officiate a wedding, and it's marvelous, right? Because what a wedding is, what people are choosing to do is to step back and say, okay, I want to image Jesus in the church. That says in Genesis chapter 2, it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And in Ephesians, Paul says, I, he doesn't say it, but I would put it in. Okay, so forgive me. He says, like, what, what is that? What does it mean to be one flesh? And Paul has the answer. He says, I don't know. He says, this is a great mystery. He says, it's such a great mystery that, that, that this thing happens, that God does this union. He says, but I'm not actually talking about man and, and, and woman. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. And so you see, we've set up, and, and he's referring to it here, how, how there's this this role that we set up, this imaging that we do of how God the Father in Christ, of how Christ is the head of the church, of how in marriage it reflects this beautiful truth of our Savior. I say all that just because this is fantastic truth that has been given to us. I, I can't find it by looking at the mountains, by enjoying the rainbow, by just thinking about how great God is. I actually know something about Jesus. <laughs> and it's, it's the very heart of the gospel. 
my Jesus is my head and he's united to me and he'll never let me go. And, and Paul says, hey, I want you to understand this. He wants you to have understanding. Me too. So rejoice, brother. Worship, sister. We're his. We marvel at the word, the word who is Christ, who lets us into the amazing truth of the good news. I'm so excited that this is true of you and me. If you put your faith in Jesus, he's your head. And we get to show this relationship to everyone around us. Okay. See, Paul was the receiver of that truth. He met with Jesus on the Damascus Road. They talked together. He understood all these things that are deep things that we would never know except he writes them down for us. And the Holy Spirit used him to write these down so that we, 2,000 years later, could say, wow. I know you're not saying wow, but, but you should be. We can all go wow together. But he's not done. Paul's not. He keeps going. Take a look. It's about not just heads. It's about hair. Every man, he writes in verse 4, who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Let's understand what he's getting at as best we can. If I understand what he's saying, I just read it through and get it. He says, if you pray with your head covered and you're a man, I, I think he's, we'll see in the context, talking about husbands and wives, I think, but let's keep going in terms of that. You, you dishonor your head. I, I take that to mean that Paul is saying, when you do that, you dishonor Christ because Christ is the head of man. He's just finished saying that. The image you give, Paul says, by covering your head, dishonors your head, who is Christ. If you pray with your head uncovered, woman, then you dishonor your head. I take that to mean Paul is saying the, the wife dishonors her husband. Well, then it's like her head being shaved. Okay, then. What? Paul has something in mind, right? We know he has something in mind. Obviously, he thinks that shaved heads on women are dishonoring by default. Right away, I know he's thinking something. But I'm puzzled. What is he thinking? He explains in a form. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Either cover your head to the wife or cut off your hair. But it's disgraceful to cut off your hair or to shave your head. So cover it. Thank you for the explanation. My brow gets more furrowed. What in the world is he talking about? I mean, I get, I get kind of the truth that we just had. It was a gospel truth, this amazing truth of how the head of the church is Jesus, the head of man is Christ, and then in your marriage relationship, how this image that you have of Christ in the church, as poorly as I do it, and as much forgiveness as my wife gives me in it, I'm supposed to represent Jesus. Huh. 
there I am imaging in my marriage. I, I get that. Paul just thinking something funny. Well, he appeals to creation. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. He's appealing to Genesis 2 or the, the, the story there of man being alone. And the first time God says this is not good and will make a helper for him. And that whole piece, and he's pulling it forward. And thus the hair covering, because he says that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. Thank you, that is so clear. Now there's angels involved. And I'm going double, huh? What's going on? This is like, this is difficult stuff. What in the world, Paul? We know this for certain in the text. He's not talking about some sort of inequality, because look how he ends. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is no born of woman, and all things are from God. But, but there you are, written down in the Bible, the Word of God. And as I look out and I see then from the Bible, which we're all so serious about, and we take very cleanly and seriously, I look at all of our people and all of you wives that are wearing head coverings, and I say, I'd say, wait a minute. I mean, there are churches where that happens, and there are people in our body who, I had somebody, they knew I was talking about this, they already showed me the head covering they wore for years. Do you see why people might do this? I mean, I, I mean, if you literally take, these are instructions from Paul, and if you're going to take the Bible as Paul is right in everything that he says, and we're going to take literally and, 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 and not even think about it, just take it as a command that we should do, and then try and accomplish it, you're going to end up somewhere with a head covering. So I, you, I know you don't think that because you're not wearing one. And if you're a guy, then you're saying, well... <laughs> can't ever shave your head or should you why does here's the thing there's an issue here right the issue is about hair it's not about the headship issue that's amazing in truth and we, we get it it's about what was he thinking about hair and that question's got to come up because he's thinking something why is it shameful to cut your hair short why is long hair good does paul just have a strange thing about hair not Exactly. No. The culture did. Remember? Remember we started. This book that he's writing was 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, how did they think about hair? And if you aren't paying attention, you just uncritically say, well, what I'm doing is I'm just taking the, the passage I can find that has a command for me to do, and I'm just going to do it because that's what's going to make God happy. And not with any understanding of what you're actually doing, you're going to end up in a very dark place. So what is it? It's really interesting, actually. It's interesting to me, at least. I'm a doctor. And if you go back and you look, there's a guy named, I don't know if you know, ever heard of the Hippocratic Oath? You heard that? So doctors take a lot of times when they start, it's like first do no harm. And it's attributed to this guy who started, he was a couple hundred years before Jesus, but his writings really we think about are other people in Jesus' time. And it talks about, in medical terms, what was going on with hair. 
this is really well documented. I can talk to you later about it. Or I can give you some articles to read. It's, it's quite fascinating. But what's happening here in the culture is they thought something particular with hair. They thought it was really had a lot to do with fertility. And there's only so much I can say in church on Sunday morning. But let me say, it's wild stuff. And, and they're very well documented. And they're like thinking, because the thinking was that how you got pregnant was this stuff in your head, and, and, the, and it had to get to the right spot, and your hair was like a vacuum, and it was hollow, and you could pull things with the hair, and it pulled you in different directions, and that's as far as I'm going. And these things that happened, and you laugh, but that was actually the medical science of the day. So if you had long hair that was showing that you were fertile and ready, and, and, and boy, you're ready to go, babies, hey. If you had your hair short, you were saying, man, you couldn't because you're the, the, the suction power wasn't there. We laugh, right? Because, because science has taught us other things. But this is how they thought it was. This is the culture that was 2,000 years ago. Kind of amazing. So with men, it was really important they not have long hair. Because that means you're suctioning things the wrong way. You want to do that. You got to keep it short. So they have that kind of stuff going on. And so, so, so there you go. And you start going, wow, he was thinking that. The culture was thinking that. Is it true that Paul was a member of his culture? These are studies that people do. And, and so, so there you have. So, so, so that flavors it, right? Because otherwise what I'm thinking is, I don't know. Gosh, I'm a product of the 1980s probably, but I remember Wimbledon and U.S. Open back in the 1980s. Maybe you do too. There's a guy named named John McEnroe. I like McEnroe because he was a lefty. I didn't like him because he was a baby. He complained all the time. Every shot he missed, and I get I, I don't know him, and here I am slandering him. Forgive me, John McEnroe. But he would play this other guy named Bjorn Borg. Bjorn Borg was always, you know, didn't get mad at all. But the most interesting about those matches, if you go back and look, both of them had hair down to their ankles. Almost. Long, wavy Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe curling. They hit the ball and their flare hair is flying. So is that shameful? Is that shameful to you? I think that there's a cultural piece going on, right? And also a knowledge piece. And so we're supposed to discern. And so what I want to do is think through that a little bit. Even in Paul speaking here, he starts to ask questions, and we start to understand where he's coming from. As he asks these rhetorical questions, he asks four of them, and here he does, he asks these questions. He says, judge for yourselves. That's his way of saying, hey, isn't this obvious? I know for me, when anyone ever says, isn't this obvious, I always go, oh, oh, oh. Judge for yourselves, he says. I'm going to tell you something really easy to see. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Okay, think about it. Just give me a response as you think. Is it okay for a wife to pray to God with her hair uncovered? Paul's answer would say, this is obvious. obviously no. And obviously everybody knows that no one should pray with their head uncovered. No wife should pray with her head uncovered. And everybody I know would say, yeah. Does it matter? If you're really going to be honest about whether you think, unless you're reading this passage and trying to say, well, now that I know this passage, I'm going to follow Paul. But if I took away Paul and just asked you, just from nature, just as you look around, is it okay that you pray to God with uncovered hair? You would say, what a dumb question. 
Of course you can't. Prayer isn't about the length of your hair. This is self-evident to Paul, but it's self-evident in another way to you and me. And then, and then he says this, doesn't nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Finally, we're going to get that guy with a ponytail, we're going to cut it off. No! He's saying nature itself tells you that long hair is bad, but you and me, if we see someone with long hair, I don't immediately think, wow, how disgraceful. You've got dreadlocks. I don't think that, do you? Paul thinks it's self-evident. But if a woman has long hair, it's her glory, for her hair is given to her for covering. So, 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 so if you're a woman and you, you get short hair, what are you, are you taking away your glory? I'm in trouble in my house. My wife likes short hair. Sorry, dear. <laughs> Got to get you some extensions right away. No, but you think that, right? You think, hey, hey, and I don't mean to make light of Paul at all. I'm saying, he's saying, this is so obvious. It is so obvious that long hair is a sign of glory, that short hair is a, a sign of no glory. And he's thinking in the medical way of the time that they, it, it would even be scientific to him and, and the, the culture and all the people around him agreeing 2,000 years ago, this is how it is. So it's obvious to the people talking that when you say everyone's nodding, they're going, yeah, I get it. I get it, man. Short hair means you're really losing the glory. Not fertile. Not what you should be. It's not that way in our culture, is it? It's just not that way. So when he says this at the end, if anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. He's saying, hey, if you're going to fight about it, then I, I, this is not something I care about. Then we say, yeah, I, I get it, because we don't think it's that way. Paul says, I'm not forcing it, it's just plain as day. I'm not going to fight about it because it should be evident to all. And, and so when we step back and we say, I want discernment, this is going to impact you and me in terms of, do, do, I, do I have to do this? And, and there's a couple things that are clear right away, and I hope you've gotten them so far. One is there's a gospel truth that Paul knows that he, he gives us and you get nowhere else. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's amazing. Like, like, like image in our marriages with man being the head of the wife. The radical truth of the headship of the Father God who sent his son Jesus to save us. This truth, unassailable and true and deep and wondrous. And then his application of it in the culture of his time where he starts looking around at hair and saying, yeah, this is really self-evident. We go, whoa. Paul's culture's not ours. This, the answer to the direct question I asked at the beginning, which is, should you wear hair coverings, to me is no. Does it matter if men have long hair? No. Right? I hope that's true. So the idea of a cultural accommodation, the idea that, that, that there is really gospel truth and there's a deep gospel truth, and then we apply it to the culture, and, and the culture changes, and so how we apply this truth to the culture might change it is part of the Bible, and we've got we to gotta deal with it. We've got to have it. It's not hard to see. I hope you see that it's not hard to see. 
but we might disagree over the application of it. But for us to blindly follow Paul when he's dealing with the culture is to say, we're not going to listen to our culture, but we need to. But there's something lurking under the water here that I don't want you to miss, and I don't want you to just go away today saying, yeah, you know, we had a nice message about why we don't wear hair coverings. It's this. Paul's not right. I say that humbly. I say that with trembling because I'm not right too. But what he was thinking about hair, as best as we can tell, as a member of his culture, wasn't the factual truth. I don't think that hair influences whether or not you can get pregnant. I think Paul did in the signs of the day. What do we do with a fallen writer? What do we do when there's these pieces that we might not agree with? And, and one of the things you and I have to take away with discernment is that the writers of the Bible, inspired by the Spirit, writing the inerrant Word of God that's the authority for our lives, they were human beings in their time. And, and we who believe in Jesus get, get all of our information about Jesus. The depth of the knowledge of God comes from these writers that were amazingly used by the Holy Spirit. But they're not required to be, be without any sort of wrong thinking. When Jesus met with Paul on the Damascus Road, they, I, I would almost guarantee, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I'd be so surprised if they talked about hair. So you can do your Bible, and these are things you don't have to fight to think that these authors aren't allowed to be human. So in Isaiah, when Isaiah 11, and he writes, and he says, let's pull in the people from the four corners of the earth. And we know that in Isaiah's day, how did they think of the earth? They thought of it as flat. He's talking about the corners. He's not speaking euphemistically. He may have actually thought that. Does that mean we throw away his revelation? No way. No we realize he's a product of his time, and the Lord accommodates to that, right? There's lots more. You know, in Ecclesiastes, in Solomon writing Ecclesiastes, or, or it's again in Psalms, when David writing Psalms, and they talk about the orbit of the sun around the earth, and it goes back to its starting place and comes around again, and they're describing that. They're not thinking, oh, we're just looking at an image, but we actually know that the earth orbits the sun. They're, they're not thinking that. We don't have to require them to think that. Because, because I know that, that the only the time that people started realizing that actually the earth orbits the sun was in 1500 A.D., 1500 years after Jesus. A guy named Copernicus came along and figured out the orbits, right? So it's, it's like John Calvin says, it's like, hey, Moses spoke with the, to the nature at the time. says, if you want to learn astronomy, study somewhere else. Is it okay for me to say that? Yeah, because it's the truth. God accommodated and used people to write down things for us that we might understand truth and even apply it in language understood by our culture out of the examples of nature that aren't required for you and me to hold them to some strange, awkward stance where they can't be wrong and, and therefore retiring double-barrel knots to try and make sure that everything they said was exactly right because, because somehow we have in our head that we're going to lose the message if we speak the truth. And here's the thing. We have to speak the truth. 
There's lots more. I guess one of my favorites is in Proverbs. And again, Proverbs talks about the ant. And I love this. Proverbs 6 about the ant. Maybe you heard this one. Look at the ant. He says he, he, he works so hard and, 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 he, and he has no ruler. And, and there he goes preparing for the winter. And, and then I get this great thing. And the message is don't be lazy. But it says right in there, and he has no ruler. And I go, well, wait a minute. I, I've looked at ant colonies. There's this thing called the the queen. Wait a minute. They're all conditioned, like army workers. They're working for the hive. They're doing what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He doesn't know that. But he's using the illustration of the ant working to give you this detailed, fun image of how diligence is helpful to prepare for the winter. Right? So that's the Bible, and there's cultural accommodation. That's okay. The, the, the pieces there that are adapted are, are good for you and me to understand. The Bible's the truth, but perhaps it's better to say the Word is the truth. Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, the life. And the things we know about life that have impacted me so greatly, the reality of Jesus Christ and his coming to earth and his living a perfect life and his dying on the cross and his rising from the dead and his life right now for me and his impact on me is, is I only know from the Bible and it is a truth that is incontrovertible. But why do I try and twist it around? And I think it's because I might be afraid that if I let in a glimmer of cultural things that somehow I'm not going to be able to discern the truth. It's not true. Jesus is the truth. Let's hold to him. The other thing I want to make sure we end with today, you and I, is, is what is it we're scared of? And in the area of head coverings, you know there are Christians in America right now who wear head coverings because they see it as a law from God. And if this thing happens and you say, what am I afraid of that I might let say, well, Paul was wrong. And if I say Paul is wrong, then uh-oh, now I'm saying, um, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But what if he's right? It's the Bible. If he's right and it's the Bible, then he's given you a command to do that you're not doing. What are you going to need? Forgiveness. If they say there's, there's, there's two words that are true from the Bible that you need to get. One is law. The, the Bible has the moral code that God says this is the way to live. The Bible has these statements that show us the reality of, of how greed and covetousness and idolatry and adultery and murder and all these things are bad. And then it goes ahead and condemns you because you don't do it perfectly. It's meant to drive you to your knees. You cannot contextualize and culturize every command in the Bible. Oh, yeah, that was just for then. Adultery doesn't really matter. He doesn't know the things that I'm into now. And, and, and uh, boy, it's just for today. No. That word needs to hit you like a brick. So that what? So you get to your knees. And you say, Jesus, you're my only hope. The law is truth, and it's in the Bible, and you need to hear it. The other flip side is also true. The gospel's true. The good news of Jesus, that's what we've been talking about. He's our head. The reality of forgiveness, full and free, I only know it from the Bible. And, and when I see my need, and when I see how the law and the truth of how I'm not who I should be pulls me to my knees, then I have Jesus to pick me up. Because the truth is, the only hope that's an anchor for my soul is my Savior. You know him. His name's Jesus. 
And in these other areas, we're applying the truths to our culture. Realize we might be right and we might be wrong. It doesn't change at all our two words. Law to drive you to your knees. The gospel to bring you home. May we live there forever. And Paul leads the way for us. He's our apostle. Our truth. But the law and the gospel are truth. Even if he can be wrong about hair. Let's pray.